This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. He takes everybody up. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to the News Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Uh, we are going to be joined today by Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle. Today's podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag, your online wagering solutions. Uh, this is a great interview. We're going to be talking about Orlando. We're going to be talking about the Rockets and how they fit into that. Obviously, we're going to be talking about David Nwaba. Uh, and without further ado, here's the interview. And we are back, joined by Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan, how are you doing, man? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, so we have a couple things to talk about, but I figure we start with some news. The Rockets waived Isaiah Hardenstein over the week and signed David Nwaba to a two-year deal. Now, Nwaba tore his Achilles this year and will not be participating in the NBA's restart. I want to talk about Isaiah Hardenstein first. So I'll admit, I've been pretty high on, on, on Hardenstein for some time now. In fact, going into the season, I thought he was a natural fit for Houston's backup center spot. But I think there's a case to be made, and you're hearing it now, that the Rockets coaching staff never really embraced Isaiah Hardenstein the same way. I think internally, they liked Isaiah and the energy he brought. I mean, it, it's hard not to. like He hustles like crazy. But Mike only gave him a brief opportunity to earn that backup center spot. And when Houston traded Clint Capella, any chance of playing time for Isaiah went out the window because they were committing to microball. Um, he obviously had his faults, particularly the fouling, uh, but his plus minus numbers were pretty insane nonetheless. Do you think it's fair to say that the Clint Capella trade, that before the Clint Capella trade, uh, they could have given him more of an opportunity? Oh, they could have given him more of an opportunity. They, you know, maybe some chances, some time would have allowed him to improve in the areas that were problems. 
and you mentioned the fouling, and it was extreme. It was not a little factor at all. Uh, he was certainly very foul-prone, and he was not adept at their switching style, and that was a big problem that kept him from getting minutes. Uh, then, as you say, once they decided they're going to play a certain style that he didn't fit, uh, they weren't going to bring him back because – you know, they have an option for next year with him. Well, were they going to pick up that option? If he didn't play because of what all these factors, and predominantly the uh, change in style, well, if he's not going to play at all, are you going to bring him back? So I think things added up to where he didn't have a role and he didn't really have a future here. Yeah, let's talk about the Nawaba part of this. So I really like David Nawaba. The first 20 games of this season, Nawaba looked really good. Like he was shooting 42% from three-point range. He was excellent defensively. And it seemed like Brooklyn downsizing him to the small forward position was the right call. Uh, he's 6'5", but he has a ridiculous 7-foot wingspan. Uh, he's defended all sorts of positions, including fours. To me, Houston signing him only confirms what we learned at the trade deadline. Like, microball isn't an experiment for the Rockets. Like, it's being talked about as such, but they view it as the team's identity moving forward. They swapped out every big man on the roster this season except Tyson Chandler in favor of a 6'5 to 6'8 3 and D wing. I mean, it's crazy. I've never seen one player, that be, that player being Russell Westbrook, drastically mold the the identity of a team overnight. Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as that on David Nwaba. I think they viewed him as a good investment, uh, a good pickup, assuming that he completely heals and he's back to the way he was, which is what they have done over the years late in the season with pickups. And it's kind of like Miami did last year at the very end of the regular season. I, I think he would have been a guy that was among those that they would look at regardless. So I, I don't know that this is a statement, particularly about small ball. I mean, he's a three and D wing. He can, he can go be in the corner and certainly defensively, he has a chance to be elite. So he had a fit two years ago, but yes, the, the small ball style is not an experiment or a brief experiment it is kind of how they envision things. All that said, though, and I think they will want to get another guy that can play small ball version of center. You know, a guy who's not a center but can do that. If there were, you know, some center who could shoot threes and switch defensively, they'd love that even more. But, you know, Clifford Robinson's pretty much out of his prime. You know, I'm not sure who that would be. You know, I also I wouldn't be surprised if they do try and get an inexpensive center, a true center for certain matchups. Not for this year, obviously, but going into next year, uh, there were some talks at the trade deadline of trying to pick up somebody cheap. It didn't pan out, but I, I wouldn't think that they will go completely without what would be a, a true center in the 2020 way. Yeah, well. It's interesting because when the Rockets made that trade, they were giving up what was one of James's best strength, which was that lob threat. Uh, and they were exchanging that for the corner three, and they were betting that that spacing would be similar and that the math would work out in their favor uh, in the same way. And 
having at least one of those guys on the roster would be interesting because it, it, you you just have it in your back pocket. Like if you see an if you see a matchup you can exploit, you you can pull out that center and use the lob threat really quick in a pinch. It is interesting though that uh, the Rockets have decided that you know we feel like the the floor spacing greatly benefits Russ and Harden much more than that lob threat gave us with Clint. Well, they have decided that, but part of the reason they decided that is because teams are defending them differently to where the lob threat was not as much of a factor as it had been. And so, especially if James is going to get trapped 35 feet from the basket, 40 feet from the basket, getting it to somebody who can create something, even if it's okay, he'll just catch and shoot or make the next pass, you know, sort of, we saw a little bit of this several years ago in that series against Dallas where he was just dumping it into Josh Smith and uh, I think Terrence Jones in the middle. He's done it some with P.J. Tucker where, okay, get it to him in the middle of the floor. That's a way to conquer that defense, which is the defense they see now, as opposed to some of the things that the lob threat uh, made so available. It just teams are defending him very differently and, Differently than we've ever seen before. Different than the Jordan rules. You know, different than anybody has ever, that I could find, has ever faced. And I talked to people who have been in the league. I did one story this year about that where people have been in the league for the minimum of 25 years, which was Eric Spolstra, and some for up to 50, who couldn't recall ever seeing this. So this is a way around that. This is the counter to that. Yeah, it is very unique the way teams were just aggressively trapping him. And uh, for a long time, I, I think I think it shook the Rockets and that they, they were just it just was different. It was unique. It was it was something they hadn't seen all season. And they adjusted pretty quickly, and obviously they made the Clint Capella trade in part because of that defense. Um, but yeah, it it, it it is it is. I wouldn't say the Nawaba trade is a statement. I agree, but it is more of the same. And 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 like that 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 to me is what I just want to hammer home. Like this is not a one- or two-year thing. Like, Clint Capella and Robert Covington are both long-term assets. They swapped out long-term assets. So this isn't like a temporary, oh, we're going to use uh, Robert Covington for one year. Would they plan on having him in the fold for the next couple years? And I think I think that was kind of their thinking uh, by changing. I don't think they came to this decision lightly. I think they thought about this for a really long time. It's funny, as, as you were talking about Covington, and I was thinking, he, he's a guy I've always really liked watching. Isn't it nice to be talking about basketball again? You know, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen in July, but it just feels good to be, you know, going through all the different basketball kind of talk that will enter into things next month, uh, hopefully. Hopefully, if things go well and they can play and there's, there is a season – uh, it feels good to have all this. To, and there's so much, of course, around the whole league that we feel like now, all right, maybe we can talk about again. Yeah, it's cert- the, the distraction is certainly nice. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk yeah, about it. I'm doing it anyway. I mean, yeah. you know, I have for <laughs> more years than you've been alive. <laughs> I love to talk hoops. Uh, and so to get to talk hoops again is a real pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so you brought it up. Uh, let's talk about the NBA's Orlando restart for a second. Uh, first of all, will you be in Orlando to cover the event? I, I haven't been told yet for sure. I've certainly made some preparations. I have two different hotel reservations 
Right. However, I spent a lot of the week talking to epidemiologists and, and infectious disease experts who suggest I'd be out of my mind to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, maybe that's it's not entirely up to me, obviously. I work for a living. i got to do what I'm told. But, you know, boy, you listen to these guys and, and women and – Oh my gosh! You know, let's go run into a hot spot and stay at a local hotel. Um, it, it really is chilling when you look at that. And I've had, on top of listening to them, and I, I talked to several today again, but also had all the charts up on my computer screen for the past few days. Ugh, I don't know about going there. <laughs> you know, they're at least in on the campus. You know, they're they're protected to a degree. I'd be out in the world. And so it's not like at my house where I can sort of protect myself and go upstairs and then go downstairs and then go back upstairs. I feel okay with that. Uh, so the, the, that's a long answer for I don't know, but it, it's a pretty chilling set of dat, data if you want to look at it. You know, where Adam Silver quoted Robert Iger saying, this is determined, you know, make your decision making based on the data, not the date. Well, the data is really lousy. It's really bad, and it's getting markedly worse every day. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE, all caps. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. So several players have tested positive for coronavirus since they've returned to their respective teams. And I think once I saw the NBA's plan, I thought it was pretty stringent and well thought out. But now with the spike in coronavirus cases nationwide, not just with these players, uh, a lot of these cases asymptomatic, uh, testing positive, I'm a little worried. And I understand the league wants to recoup some of the money that they're going to lose to minimize uh, the the detrimental damage to the CBA and uh, that these playoff teams want to crown champion. But... I'm nervous, and uh, it's too. Su- I'm nervous that it's too soon to play, and that the league's proximity to one of the hotspots of coronavirus in Florida doesn't help that nervousness. Um, you talked about some of that worry, but have you spoken to people in the league about its return and that same nervousness? Do you sense it? Yes, and well, first. Uh, I'll cite my, the four experts that I talked to in the last few days, uh, and that story will be on HoustonChronicle.com on Friday, so you can look at a lot more than I will get into here because it's a long story. But the thing that they're, they're very impressed with the protocols. You know, they're 113 pages in tremendous detail with loads of testing and the isolation when they arrive in Orlando. All four experts that I talked to uh, were very impressed with that, but then immediately said, but with Disney workers going home every night, even if they attempt to stay, you know, follow directions, 
they, they get some training about best practices when they're outside the campus. They still have to go to a grocery store. They have to go to the pharmacy or wherever else. And so many people are not following these kinds of protocols. And the cases are rapidly increasing in Orange County and Osceola County, the two counties where the uh, Wide World of Sports Complex is. You come in contact with people who don't know they've got it. They are asymptomatic, as we've seen with the NBA players that have tested positive. You come back to work asymptomatic. Now you're bringing it within the, quote, bubble. Players, if a player gets it, he too could also he could be asymptomatic. Once a player gets it, there's no way to avoid contact. You know, you can minimize it, but it's not tennis. They're not on opposite sides of a net. They're, they're going to be on breathing next to one another. And it's just, it's frightening. The notion that uh, as many precautions as you can take, it, it's going to be all over Orange County and even though the Disney staff, the cast members, as they call them, are not going to be in close proximity often with players, any proximity could be enough. It's that infectious a disease. So it's they're doing their best shot at it. They've tried to think of everything, but that might not be enough. And that, that's the message I keep getting where the NBA position and the Players Association position is we're going to keep players and staff and employees away from the Disney employees. And you know, and I will say, the experts did say it's relatively unlikely you catch it, which we thought in the beginning, from someone breathing near a handrail or touching the elevator button and then you touching it after. Now, I'm not going out touching everything I can find, but it really is person-to-person contact, which is what the NBA and the Players Association are limiting. Uh, they're really limiting how often the Disney staff can be in proximity to the players so and the coaches and other employees. There's a chance. It could work, but it just seems like any slip, any test, and it's going to spread. You know, it's like you and I would know from – just this year's experience when a virus got in the Rockets locker room, a stomach virus in December, it went from player to player to player, almost in order of where they sat, you know, from Gary Clark to Daniel house to Austin rivers to Tyson Chandler. And actually I'm in the middle there. I got it, you know, <laughs> right in that time. And you, you, you know how the locker room is at Toyota Center. That's almost the order in which they sit, uh, going across the back of the room there. So, yeah, if it gets – there's no locker rooms in Orlando. They're not going to have locker rooms. They're going to shower and change in their hotel rooms. But they're going to be on the bus. They're going to be on the bench. And they're certainly going to be on the court. Yeah, and you almost feel weird calling it a bubble because it's not a true bubble because of what you mentioned with these uh, these Disney workers. And, you know, I'm, you're starting to read things and it's, it's making me nervous because you're starting to read things about people in their everyday lives who are doing all the precautions, social distancing, hand washing, uh, wearing a mask in public, and they're still catching it. It's It's crazy how infectious this disease is. 
Um, and you know, you know, it's gotten to the point where like, I'm, I'm sure you've encountered this too. Like, you know, everybody at this point knows someone who has coronavirus. Like it's, I, I have loved ones who have contracted coronavirus. It, it's, it's scary. We're in a scary spot, not only for the NBA, but for this country. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't even know how you enforce some of the rules that were in there. Like, so these players are just always going to be wearing masks and there's this hotline for uh you can that you can contact if you see anyone wearing a mask well i don't know how many players i mean jonathan you know players you've been around players for 20 years i don't know how many players are going to be calling this hotline to snitch on other players and it it, it is just well, maybe between game six and seven <laughs> yeah uh it, it... Yeah, so the lakers all out at, at church street station last night <laughs> yeah uh, it, it is uh, it is going to be really hard to enforce some of these rules, and it, it, you know I, I think the players understand how important it is to keep uh, keep everything in in kept. But I mean, it's only human nature. Like, if there is not a strong authority figure telling you to follow rules, you're not going to follow rules. I mean, you're starting to see it even in public. Like, I, you're starting to see, I mean, this is anecdotal, obviously, but for me personally, I'm starting to see less and less people wear masks in public. Like, when I go to the grocery store, like, I, it, before everyone was wearing a mask, and now it's like, you know, 75%, and then, you know, it progressively gets lower and lower because there's not, like, a mandate that everybody has to wear masks, or, like, there, everybody has to stay six feet away. Like, there's just, it's only human nature that even if you believe uh, that this virus is serious and that we need to take it seriously, when there's not someone constantly hammering it at home, uh, you're gonna, I mean, you're you're gonna get relaxed a little bit, and I wonder, you know, three months in this bubble, if some players get relaxed. Well, that that is a possibility. You know, it, I think the fact that there are so many protocols, it'll be on their minds throughout. To where, and you know, there's certain things they can wear, or if they're not, certainly they'll see lots of people wearing them, which serves as a reminder. And I don't think there's going to be the culture wars factor to where, you know, that's for whatever reason, that's become a culture war in the country to where my side doesn't wear masks. And that's very unfortunate because the virus doesn't choose sides. And, and you know, I'm not an epidemi- epidemiologist or infectious disease experts, but I will say the four that I spoke with, and they're super qualified. I mean, they, I was very lucky to get to talk to them. At some point in the conversation, they launched into the, the how absolutely essential it is that people mask up, and that they wear. They didn't. Oh, not all four, but several of them also added uh, and wear them properly. That many people don't wear ones that fit right or don't put it over their nose and several of them and that wasn't the subject of the interview it was not what we were talking about but they know the, the facts the statistics about the danger and it's the easiest thing any of us can ever do to save a life there's people who are being so incredibly brave and giving to, to society at great risk to themselves Wearing a mask is the easiest thing we can do. I mean, we're not running into a burning building here. You wear a mask. It's not the most comfortable thing, but it's a whole lot more comfortable than a respirator, uh, I assume. And so, yeah, there's my soapbox moment. But 
you know, I, I've listened to, you know, one of them I, I just transcribed, even though it was never getting in the story because it was so well put that uh, it's just essential. That, and you, I'm so sorry to hear that you have family members dealing with it. And I hope they're okay. You know, wear a mask. Somebody else's family member won't have to deal with it. You know, just it just seems the least we can do. As far as the players letting up as time goes on, you know, I hope first, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know that that'll happen because I think it is, we're going to be learning more and more about the way this is spreading and spiking to where I think it'll be on people's minds in mid-July, the way people sort of got to the point, I can't take it anymore. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I, I want my life back where I think it's going to, kind of boomerang back a little bit to where there will be awareness is also spiking. So I'm, I'm hoping that people don't let up when they're anywhere, including on the Disney campus. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I get some of the frustration. Wearing a mask is annoying. It's uncomfortable. It's hard to breathe. I get it. Like it, it, it's, it's just something you have to do to, to worry about other people. Cause again, we've learned that wearing a mask, it's not gonna, it's not gonna protect you. It's about everybody else. And it's, it's one of those things where like, it's, it's the least you can do. It's uncomfortable. It's an inconvenience. It sucks. We all want to go back to normal. Uh, but it, it is what it is. This is the situation we we're dealing with. This is the hand that we've been dealt. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those healthcare workers are wearing it. My son is wearing them for 12, 14 hours. He doesn't go 12 or 14 hours, but a lot of those healthcare workers are wearing them for 12, 14 hours a day. You know, they're, they're just long shifts, they're wearing them. You know, we can do it. You know, I'll give you, I'll, not to belabor this too much, but here's one of the quotes that the guy told me wearing a facial mask is really about respecting others. Some people may be positive and shed virus and not even know it. Social distancing and wearing face coverings are individual responsibilities that are essential in reducing the transmission in our communities. Just, uh, and then the other one uh, that is really our only tool in the toolkit. It's pretty basic. We're not asking people to do a really hard thing. You know, this is the guy who spends his life being an expert on this sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'll stop preaching, but uh, just been thinking about it a lot today. No, it's it's top of mind. It's it is something that um that that you know I I again I understand some of the frustration. It, it is it is a tough situation we're dealing with. It's not and not not to even get into the economics of what's going on in our country because of this virus. But um, let's get to some positive stuff again. Uh, let's end on this. Let's, let's talk about the Rockets. So we've seen Daryl Morey come out and say that the Rockets will have a unique advantage in the league's return to play. And that's been an opinion I've seen several other people share over the past couple of weeks. And even talking to people, I've heard that. Um, this is one of the oldest teams in the league, uh, and they've gotten a long rest, and they're going to get a training camp with a lot of new players that the Houston's acquired midseason. Obviously, the Rockets are going to be, we're going to be a really good playoff team, and that was the case before the shutdown. But do you believe Houston goes into the Orlando bubble with a unique advantage, as Daryl and some others have suggested? I don't know about unique advantage. I think they are among the teams that can especially benefit 
other than those that get injured players back who are now healthy players. You know, we've talked, everybody talks about Portland, uh, Ben Simmons with Philadelphia, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, the MVP this year, uh, you know, he had a little bit of a, a knee issue that he won't now. Other than those teams, the Rockets are the team that changed the most. Of the teams that could be considered contenders or contending to be contenders, they're the team that changed the most. They could use training camp 2.0. I think they will benefit from those weeks on a practice court. There's not a lot of time, and there certainly wasn't a lot of time after the trade deadline to kind of work on things. And they've got more information. They've seen more defenses. Uh, the defense that the Clippers and Charlotte used, they've seen that now. And they can work on it. So I do think they will benefit, and they're healthy. Uh, they, they have, you know, I've, I've been told everybody's on board, everybody's healthy. And so they could be better than they were, and they should be. They lost four of the last five, and it took beating Minnesota without Cat. They should be better, but I think they really have a good chance to be a better team than they were when the season was halted March 11th. Yeah, so you mentioned that they lost for the last five. That was actually going to be my next question. Like, what did you think of the state of the team uh, when the season halted? Because it was a, a bit of an awkward spot for them. Yeah, I mean, they, they lost that first one in New York that was sort of a letdown game after a really good overtime win in Boston. And then they got smacked by the Clippers. And they didn't deal with that great. And... They really were, they, they seemed to be almost running on fumes emotionally. You know, so much had happened and the way they had changed. It wasn't just that they didn't adjust well to the defenses they saw. They, they, there was some lack of fire going in, in those games. And I think they were going to get out of it. And I, I don't think it's an issue now. But. They, they definitely needed maybe to step back. It's one of the reasons they could benefit from the unique circumstances of this season. But, uh, they, they had a good plan. I mean, there's some real questions whether the small lineup will work in some of the matchups they might face, They even one they hope to face down the line. But it is a plan, and it's a real viable plan. There is a way of playing that can work. And it, it does make them different. They were not going to beat the Lakers based on just, or maybe this gives them a better chance in a way to beat the Lakers than what they were. And, you know, that it's one of the things that's going to be really intriguing about this season. Yeah. Um, now I have to ask this. Do you have an opinion on skinny James Harden? Like, is, is that even top of no. mind or anything? No, no. No, I think it's way overrated. <laughs> I mean, first, you know, he was pretty darn good the way he was. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I, you know, it might not be overrated in, in July and August, but in June, I think it's overrated. And the reason that is, is because we see guys come to training camp every year looking like, whoa, he, he really got thin or he got really strong. You know, the old muscle watch thing. It's until you get on the court, you know, then you see, you know, what happened in the layoff. It's not, we know this by now, it's not social media videos or, or 
how a guy looks when he walks by. Uh, you see it on the court. Now, when you get to August, maybe we will see that on the court. And, and you know, he had these weird slumps this year, shooting slumps. Yeah. That he had not in previous years. So I don't know it was because he was thicker. He's a thicker guy to begin with. He's still going to be a thicker guy. But he didn't have him in previous years, so I don't know if that's why. Uh, and there's been times he, over the years, seemed worn out as playoff series progressed. They started really well. I mean, the, the six, game six loss to the Spurs, he was incredible in game one. It was, and he did wear out in that series. And there's, it, it hasn't been as much of an issue in some of the more recent series. Even at the last minutes, I've been watching some of these games that they show on AT&T Sportsnet. And you can sort of see at the end of the first quarter, which is typically his longest stretch, that maybe he's not as as much bounce as there was two minutes earlier. It's time to sit. Well, you know, maybe skinny James Harden gets through those last two minutes of the, of a twelve minute stretch. That's all another thing that we'll get to watch. Uh, but in now, uh, don't I, and Eric Gordon looks much better, and Daniel House, you know, might have look, maybe looks somewhat fitter. Um, Eric Gordon, I think it's maybe more of a factor because he's a guy who had in-season surgery. Uh, and you can't train. You're still rehabbing when you come back. And you're you're dealing with the knee. And he's not dealing with the knee anymore. With him, it might be a greater factor. Um, but with everybody, generally, you think, we'll see how it plays out. Just like you do when training camp moves on to the start of the regular season. No, I agree. I, I think we're just bored. And this is like... June's version of muscle watch that we do every year but um I I am interested actually on like to see how James defends bigger guys now because you know that was really part of their small ball strategy right like we're gonna like we have uh James and Russ who are thick enough to defend post players and same thing with Eric Gordon I I I don't think it'll have that much of an effect because James is still so strong but you know I wonder if the thickness does affect you know maybe post defense or, or anything like that at all that's a great thought. Yeah, and that's another thing for us to watch. But, uh, you know, I agree with you. His strength should be there. And, you know, he I don't think he lost the weight just by dieting and not doing anything or, you know, running marathons. I bet he's been training. I bet he's been lifting. So he's probably pretty strong. But it'll be something to watch. You know, when Jokic is well and playing again, It'll be something to watch with him. I think he will benefit from being lighter. I think he was too heavy. But he did throw his weight around. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it works for him. Yes. But with him, we got more to watch because, you know, coming back from the virus is a challenge even for young, healthy people. And different people react differently. So. There's going to be a lot to watch with him and, and you know, others too. Yes, skinny Jokic makes me slightly uncomfortable. I'll be honest; it's just a, not a natural look for him. He 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 looks better doughy. Uh, and the NBA, it was pretty cool to have an NBA superstar be that thick. Uh, and you know, now we don't have that anymore, and that makes me a little sad. Um, th- again, thank you so much for coming on, Jonathan Fagan. Uh, where can we follow your work? Read all your work uh, at the Houston Chronicle. Uh, well, the best place to go is HoustonChronicle.com. And you know, that can take you anywhere, and it's also easy to do. You know, Texas Sports Nation, 
almost everything goes there now. Uh, but yeah, just go to HoustonChronicle.com. There, there'll be some stuff this week as the week goes on. Uh, that story uh, where you can really get some really, the epidemiologists were really good at sort of understanding what this is all about, what they're trying to do. It's not just science. Um, and so uh, that story will be like the next one that'll be up there. And I appreciate your letting me plug on that. But, uh, and of course my Twitter handle, I'll, I'll, I'll link to that. And a lot of everybody else on the staff too is Jonathan underscore Fagan uh, is the Twitter handle. So uh, invite people to go there. I always like hearing from everybody. For sure. Uh, that I, I look forward to reading more of that story. Uh, and I, and I'm interested in reading what you have going into the, the bubble. I want to see, uh, what storylines develop for the Rockets this season. This was really fun. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure to follow Jonathan on Twitter, read his work. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs>